need to confess to you that as I stand up here this morning, I have a sermon that I wrote, uh, but in maybe perfect form for Super Bowl Sunday, I feel like calling a little bit of an audible. Um, uh, because there has been a lot going on in my life in this past week, and it's made me start to wonder a few things. Um, I have two sick kids at home right now. It's hard to have one sick kid. It's even harder to have two sick kids at the same time. Um, Aaron and I were going to go out with friends last night. We were going to have a date night for the parents' night out, and we didn't get to do that. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. On Friday, we got a phone call from really good friends of ours in Kansas City. Um, and one of our friends has just been diagnosed with leukemia, and that's really hard. Um, I got a call from a friend yesterday who finds herself in an emotionally abusive relationship and she doesn't know how to get out of it and that's really hard. I'm reading the news about the earthquake in Syria and Turkey and the death toll that keeps rising and that's really hard and I'm going, my gosh, this is just hard sometimes. Life. Life is hard and I know it's Super Bowl Sunday and we're wearing our Chiefs colors and we're supposed to be excited and joyful and ready for this thing but but sometimes it's who it's just heavy i've been reading this book by this man named howard thurman who's a really phenomenal theologian and the book is called uh jesus and the disinherited and he says christianity is a lot about um, what we do for others he says but, but what does it have to say for those of us who are the others sure you can say that there are always people who are more poor than we are but what about those of us who feel like we're living our lives with our backs against the wall? What does Christianity have to say for us? Is it more than just doing for others? What is Christianity if it's not only about doing for other people? And he goes on to talk about the inner work, the inner work that, that Christ does for us, the inner work that happens um, in a life in Christ. And as I read this story from Acts, I actually was going to go a different place with it. But it actually also applies to this other thing. This is one of the most pivotal stories in all of Scripture. You know, a friend of mine used to say you can tell how important a news story is by how much airtime it gets or how big it is in the front paper, right? This story appears twice. Once in Acts chapter 10. And then again, in Acts chapter 11, we hear the same story two different times. Because this story tells a pivotal, of a pivotal moment, not just in the history of Christianity, in the life of this budding church. It changes the entire course of the rest of the book of Acts. And it's a really, really phenomenal story. I'm going to recap it again because Pat did a phenomenal job reading it for us. But Acts 10 tells us the story of what happens. Peter's sitting on a roof. A blanket comes down. He's like in this trance, and it's got all these unholy, unclean animals on it. God's like, Peter, take it. Eat it. He, Peter's like, no, God, I've never done that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And the blanket goes up. And two more times this happened. And Peter keeps saying, no, God, I can't do that. I haven't eaten anything unclean. And God's like, don't call things unclean that I have made clean. After three visions, three men show up at the door while Peter's still on the roof. And God's like, hey, Peter, you need to go with him. So Peter's like, all right. He takes some other Jewish believers. They go and follow this guy. Turns out there's a Gentile named Cornelius who's had a vision of an angel. And the angel said, go find Peter and bring him over. 
So Peter kind of walks in, and Peter's like, so the Jewish law tells me that I'm not supposed to be here right now because Jews don't associate with Gentiles, but here I am. Why have you called for me? And Cornelius goes, hey, Peter, so here's my entire household. It's not just Cornelius, right? It's his family. It's his servants. It's all of his people. Here we are. We want to hear whatever you have to tell us. Go for it. And Peter's like, okay. So So Peter Peter starts starts preaching about Jesus. Jesus. And the scripture says that as Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, on Cornelius and his entire household. They start praising God. They start speaking in tongues, which is exactly what happened to Peter and the disciples on the day of Pentecost just a little while earlier. So Peter's looking around at these Gentiles who are speaking in tongues. And Acts 10 tells us, that Peter kind of looks around and he looks at the other Jewish believers who are with him. And he's like, so uh, can anybody stop these guys from getting baptized? No? All right. Let's go baptize them. But in Acts 11, Peter says it a little bit differently. Um, in Acts 11, Peter has just walked into a room full of believers in Jerusalem And the believer, he's been gone. He's been in Joppa. That's where this whole other thing happened. He walks into this room full of the church, people of Jewish descent. And they're like, hey, Peter, welcome back. We're so glad you're home. We heard that the word of the Lord has gone to the Gentiles. And by the way, we are ticked about that. What were you thinking? Why are you in the homes of Gentiles? What is going on? And so Peter's kind of like, like I imagine he's just kind of like backed against a wall because Every other time Peter has done something a little bit crazy, every other speech he's ever made, he's been able to pull on Scripture. When he made this massive speech on the day of Pentecost, he talked about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he pulled stuff out of the Old Testament, and the other people around him who were mostly Jewish God-fearers listened to him, and tons of people were saved. But in this moment, he didn't have any precedence to pull on. He was just him and his experience. It was just him and what he had witnessed, and he's going to try to explain to these people who are criticizing him for what happened, what he understood. So here's what I think is vitally important. Well, there's a thousand vitally important things in this story. I love this story. It's incredible that the Holy Spirit broke through all these walls and went to people that the the, the believers never thought that God would go to. But this story is not just a story of the Holy Spirit flowing to the Gentiles. Because it's also a story of the Holy Spirit flowing inside of Peter. Because what Peter probably didn't realize until that moment is that he had built a wall inside of him. He had this belief that the Holy Spirit would flow up to a certain point and would not go past it. And this came from his religious tradition. This came from what the scripture said. This came from everything he had known before. All of these things were probably bricks in this wall that he had built that made him think that the Holy Spirit would go to a certain point and not further. And now he's witnessing this thing where the Holy Spirit has just blown right past that wall. And he's going, what am I supposed to do with this? It goes past everything he ever understood. So this is where I thought about this scripture today because Peter could have, at this moment, become a hindrance to the spirituality and the relationship with God that Cornelius and his family had. He could have let himself become a brick in the wall that stops Cornelius from fully experiencing God. 
He could have let his religious biases or his beliefs, his cultural issues get in the way. He could have let his desire to be an insider keep those other people out. He could have gone, listen, I'm Peter, okay? Like, I walked with Jesus, and I don't understand what's happening here. And therefore, this is not legitimate. Okay, I don't know what this is. But I don't get it, and therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm out. He could have done that. He could have actually done even more significant spiritual damage than that. Because Cornelius and his whole household have just experienced something amazing, and now they're looking at Peter, and they're going, what, are, what is this? What are we doing? And if Peter had let himself live into those biases and those traditions, and the other thing that told him that this couldn't happen, he would have been like, I don't know, I'm leaving. And then what would Cornelius and his family have done? What would they have thought about God? It could have been a serious moment of spiritual damage. And so in that moment, when they were looking to Peter, Peter had this choice to make. And this is why I think we hear the story of Peter and Cornelius twice. Because in Acts 10, it's a narration. But in Acts 11, it's a testimony. In Acts 10, it's about the Holy Spirit going to new peoples. But in Acts 11, it's about the Holy Spirit flowing even inside of Peter. Breaking through the bricks of tradition or scripture or cultural biases or anything else that could have hindered or harmed. It's like that quote that we put in the worship guide from the Mighty Tiger. States can be red and blue, but the Mighty Tiger votes only to flow. We have our cultural biases. We have our issues. But the Holy Spirit goes where God wills. There's one really interesting difference between Acts 10 and Acts 11 that, that um, I want to point out. In Acts 10, when it's just narration, it says the Holy Spirit falls. Peter looks at everybody else and goes, okay, who's to prevent these people from getting baptized? In Acts 11, when Peter is retelling the story, he says the Holy Spirit fell. And I remembered the words of the Lord. That John baptizes with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then I thought to myself, this is what Peter said. If God gave them the same gift that God gave us, who am I to hinder God? Who am I to get in God's way? Peter could have let those things inside of him be a wall that turned him into a hindrance. But instead, he remembered the word of the Lord. We say that all the time when we read scripture, right? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But when Peter remembered this, he wasn't remembering scripture that he had read. He was remembering an actual conversation that he had with the living Jesus. When Jesus was alive and walking on this earth. It was a face-to-face. Peter's like, I remember that thing that Jesus said to me that one time. Peter had a real relationship with Jesus, and he had his own experiences with the Spirit. And that is why he said, okay, who's to stop these people from getting baptized? So in this moment with Cornelius, the thing that stopped Peter from being a hindrance, that stopped Peter from doing damage, was not his knowledge of Scripture, It was was not not his adherence adherence to religious tradition or practice. It was was not his education or his seminary degree or his years of leadership experience. None of those things can be credited as the reason that Peter didn't do damage. A lot of people have those things, and we could still do damage. The thing that stopped Peter in this moment from becoming a stumbling block was his real relationship with Jesus 
and his own experiences. I titled this sermon, The Importance of In, not only because this passage talks to us about the importance of inclusivity, of bringing people in, how the Holy Spirit is constantly going out and bringing others into life and to community and to salvation, but also because I think it shows the importance of inner work that we have to do. There's another story in scripture that reminds me of this one, and it's the story of Jonah. We remember Jonah, right? He was the guy that got swallowed by a big old fish. And that's usually all we remember. But actually, after the fish, Jonah goes to Nineveh, like God told him to, which, by the way, is the enemy of Israel. And Jonah preaches this message that God says to preach. And you know what happened? Does anybody remember? They repent, right? The Ninevites are like, oh, Wow, this, okay, we will listen to God. We will do what God says. We will change. This is fantastic. It was an incredible Holy Spirit moment in Assyria. And Jonah was ticked about it. He was like, God, I knew you were going to do this. Literally, chapter four. God, I knew that you're a God who's slow to anger and abounding in mercy and love. And I knew that you weren't going to punish these people. And I would rather die right now. That is what he says. So Jonah and Peter have this exact same experience. They go, God uses them. They do something for God. And God does something incredible through them. And one of them is like, all right, cool, God. I guess we're going here now. And the other one's like, God, how dare you? Jonah needed to do some of his own inner work, right? The reason why we need to do our own inner work is so that when God does something incredible, we can see it for the incredible thing that it is. We have to do our own inner work so that we don't let our biases or our culture or our upbringing or those things we believe that are no longer serving us so that we don't let them get in the way of what else God is doing. I almost picture it like this yarn that's just tangled up. We have all this stuff that's tangled up with Jesus and we've got to constantly untangle it. And this is lifelong work. But I think it's our good work to do. The reason why this sermon is kind of shifting is because in our leadership team meeting this past week, we talked about putting together an outreach team. This is a team that we had a little while ago where we've got some people who are ready to do it again and to put together an outreach team that lets people know that Day Spring is here, that kind of promotes us, markets us to the St. Louis community because. I believe, and I think you all believe too, this church has something to offer people. This church is first and foremost, like, healthy. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible thing to offer people too. But we've got community. We've got love. We've got so many good things to offer people. And we want them to know that we're here. But as I think about being intentional about us going out, it just, it just reminds me, even me personally, to make sure I'm intentional about doing the, to make sure that I'm intentional about doing the inner work too. So that when people come, so that when our outreach team does great stuff and people find themselves here, what they find is loving, welcoming, healthy, inclusive, dogs with tails wagging, people who are happy that they're here. I had a youth kid once whose dad, um, I'm sorry, his mom really, really struggled with uh, severe anxiety and depression. His mom was a believer, but really struggled with this. And when this kid went off to college, his mom just kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse. 
Um, and he went to a Bible study leader at his college, and, and we're, ta we're talking about this. Um, and he said, I don't understand, you know, what's going on with my mom. And the Bible study leader said, well, she just needs to have more faith. And the kid went, what? He's like, well, she needs to pray more, and she has more faith. Don't you agree that God is more powerful than anxiety and depression? And this little 19-year-old kid is like, well, yeah, right? And so the Bible study leader is like, so your mom just doesn't have enough faith. She needs to pray more. Um, this really didn't sit right with this kid in that moment. He just kind of filled him with shame. He really didn't like it at all. Um, but he did believe that God was more powerful than this, so he didn't quite know what to do. And a few weeks later, he went to a different church, and, and he was talking to the pastor, and he kind of said the same thing to the pastor. And this pastor started talking about trauma and the effects that trauma has on our bodies and um, all the different ways that that can manifest and said that God is more powerful than that, but God gives us tools and resources to help us with those things. And the kid was like, oh, yeah, so like Bible memorization and prayer. And the pastor goes, sure, and also therapy and also medication. And also community, holistic psychology, all of these things that God gives us so that we can find help and relief as we do our own inner work. So often the church has had a stigma against those things in particular. But those are the things that make us healthy people. Richard Rohr says that there's a really great connection between good theology and good psychology. Because both of them get us down to the basis of our soul and we can meet God there. And as I think about us becoming a place that people want to be, that they find meaning here, they find good community here, I'm just constantly reminded of the importance of doing our own inner work so that we can be like Peter and not like Jonah. I don't get this, but I'm glad you're here. Clearly God is doing something that's awesome. Welcome in versus I don't get this and I don't like this and I don't want this to happen. We have to be constantly untangling the things that we have combined. I'm going to end with this story. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, and uh, one day he gets a phone call from a guy. We'll just call this guy Bob. And Bob asks if he can meet with him. He's new to town, wants to meet with the pastor. And so my friend's like, okay, sure. They set up a time. And when Bob shows up to the office, uh, my friend, the pastor, recognizes him because Bob is actually this famous celebrity pastor the kind of guy with a massive congregation and a huge following and people who aren't even in the church know who he is. But he's a guy who was a part of a massive scandal. Um, and in this scandal, he lost his church. He lost his job. He also lost his reputation and he also lost his family. Um, and he shows up to my friend's doorstep, kind of this broken shell of a guy who's trying to figure out what happened and, and where he went wrong and what's going on with Jesus and how all this works together. So Bob actually starts coming to my friend's church. He starts entering into the community. Um, they have this like 10-month discipleship program that they do there that's open to all their congregants. And Bob starts going through this, this different kind of discipleship program. And my friend says that after months of doing this, uh, one day Bob's daughter comes to church with him 
They hadn't met Bob's daughter. Bob's daughter was, was estranged from him because of everything that happened. Um, and she sits through the service, and at the end of the service, she comes up to the pastor and says, can I, can I just pull you aside and talk to you for a second? The pastor's like, yeah, okay. And she says, listen, I don't think I believe in this Jesus stuff anymore. I've seen it do too much damage. It ripped my family apart. I don't think I believe this. But I just wanted to tell you that ever since my dad started coming here, he's a different man than he used to be. I don't know what y'all are doing, but he's not the same man that he's been for most of my life. And so I just wanted to say thank you. I am so grateful that we have a faith that emphasizes, that emphasizes doing for others. And that's vital. But it's also vital that we understand the importance of doing the work for ourselves too. Because what God wants to do in us is not just work through us for out there. But also do things for us in here. Dallas Willard says, um, God does not so much care about the things you accomplish. God cares about the person you are. The person you are becoming. And I think about that person in our homes. And with our families. And behind closed doors. And that person who we are when we're mad or when we're upset. And we have inner work to do. I hope we can all be Peters. And not Jonas. I put the picture on the front of the worship guide as Jonah and the whale. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, Valerie was like, why are we talking about something in the New Testament? And you put a picture from a random story. Good catch, Valerie. But I do think there is this correlation between God. Guys, God works through Jonah just like God worked through Peter. God works through a donkey. God can work through us. The importance is who we are and who we're becoming as we let God untangle all of these different things. So let's never forget the importance of what's in. That's my sermon. That isn't where I was planning on going, but... There it is. Would you pray with me today, please? God, we are so grateful that you are a God who cares about other people and who encourages us to love the lonely and the lowly and the least of these. But we also thank you that you're a God who cares about what's going on inside of us, too, who wants to give us life abundant, and then we get to turn that outward, God. We thank you, like that pastor said, for the tools and resources that you've given us through the scripture, through Christian community, but also through professional help. I pray that you will make Dayspring, like Terry said earlier, a place that no matter who walks in this door, they find welcome and they find community. I pray that you would continue to make us that place because I feel like we kind of already are. Please help us continue to do our own inner work so that we become a hindrance to what it is that you're doing in the world and in the community around us. We love you. We are so grateful for you. We are so grateful to be a part of this church community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.